This is I Am Change Podcast. We must get people to connect more with this idea. Vulnerable children are going to be the most hard hit by this pandemic. Next, I'm just going to write myself. I'm going to make sure I direct. I have seen how words move people to action. IIC Podcast hopes to inspire you to live more consciously and be the change the society needs. I think the most important thing is self-reliance. Sit down and look at your processes properly. I'm your host, Koride Aziz. I do this because I know that there are people out there, millions in numbers, in various grassroots community in Nigeria and in Africa at large, who don't even know what Twitter or Facebook is. But these are people who always come out in mass to vote during election, that believe that government, when elected into office, would ensure they enjoy dividends of democracy. So I do this to give hope. I do this to bring governance closer to the people and build trust among citizens and the elected officials. What does it take to be a voice for the voiceless? To fight for the rights of others against all odds, even if it means stepping on the lion's tail? Are there special kinds of people suited to the work of activism? How can you use your voice to make a difference, no matter your reach and niche? We answer these questions and more in this episode of IAC Podcast, where we have a chat with Hamzat Lawal, or Hamzi, as many people call him. Hamzi is an activist who has successfully led grassroots campaigns in over 40 African countries. He is the founder of Follow the Money, a pan-African grassroots data-driven movement that empowers citizens to demand improved public service delivery and hold their elected government representatives accountable. He is also the chief executive of Connected Development Code, a local NGO he founded in 2012 dedicated to helping the continent achieve the Sustainable Development Goals. Apolitical recognized Hamzi as one of the world's 100 most influential people in digital government in 2018 and 2019. He was also recognized amongst the 100 most influential people in Africa in 2019. His movement, Follow the Money, won United Nations SDG Action Award as Mobilizer 2019 and he won the 2019 Future Africa Award under Advocacy category. With over nine years of experience in the non-profit sector, Hamzi has achieved so much in his work, making his mark as a voice not to be ignored. To kick off our conversation, I asked him about what drives him to do the work that he does. I think it started Follow the Money after I connected with pain. When I say pain, I mean connected to real pain of people being hopeless and have given up faith in government and even in themselves. And just to give you a bit of background, what I meant. So in 2010, there was lead poisoning outbreak in northern Nigeria, as in Farah State. In 2012, I was struggling to get information on what has happened between 2010 and 2012. Because at that time, it was declared a a national emergency. And our government responded by uh, providing resources that was needed. International organization also mobilized millions of dollars to help government respond adequately. 
So in 2012, I went to the Ministry of Health, uh, I went to the Department of Public Health. I wanted to know what has happened for the past two years. I went to the Ministry of Mines and Solid Minerals, and I went to the Ministry of Environment. And no one seems to be able to tell me, no one seems to know what has happened, or no one wanted to share. So I took a risk. I took a risk and traveled to Bagega. And just to put this also into proper context, from Abuja to Guso, seven hours by, from Guso to Anka is three hours by road terrible road from Anka to Bagega is four hours. Uh, there was no road. And going to Bagega, you have to go on a motorbike, a donkey, a camel, or a horse. So I, I rode on a motorbike. And when I got to Bagega first, I found out that over 700 children had died. Over 1,500 children were very sick and at the verge of losing their life. I interviewed a grandmother who had lost about 15 children from their household. I met a mother who had lost three children. I met a farmer who has lost uh, two children. And, and all of them were hopeless with the fact that no single couple of the dollars that was released two years ago got to this community. So for me, I saw myself as the bridge, the bridge who collected voices. And I say I collected voices with their permission. I took video, I took pictures. A lot of people now will call them amateur pictures and video. But I was the bridge who took their story, who took their voice, came back to Abuja and started a campaign called Save Bagega on Twitter we'd follow the money. And that's how I started my journey over eight years ago and I'm here now. But for me, and to quickly answer your question directly, I do this because I know that there are people out there, millions in numbers, in various grassroots community in Nigeria and in Africa at large, who don't even know what Twitter or Facebook is. But these are people who always come out in mass to vote during election that believe that government when elected into office, would ensure they enjoy dividends of democracy, would ensure that when their children fall sick and when they rush them to a primary health care center, there is vaccine, there is syringe, there's medical supply, there's a doctor, there's a nurse. When a woman is pregnant, there's a midwife there to attend to her. There are people who believe that their children are supposed to go to school, even if they can afford to send them because they have elected government into office. So I do this to give hope. I do this to bring governance closer to the people and build trust among citizens and the elected officials. Hmm. Really amazing story there. But of course, not everybody might have the same drive to be able to do the work that you do. But even then, for those of us who want to help the fight in one way, I mean, how does the average Nigerian citizen follow the money to ensure transparency and accountability um, let's use the COVID-19 funds and donation as an example. How do we even begin to track and trace what is happening with all that money? You know, today technology has brought us really closer to one another. We have friends via the internet that we've never met. And with COVID-19, COVID-19 has shown that right now we need to take transparency much more important and every citizen have a role to play. And when you look at COVID-19 resources, uh, particularly from CACOVID, which is the organized private sector. It has shown that when you have organized private sector providing details of how much they've raised, by the way, since CACOVID was in existence, they've raised about $32 billion to help support the fight against COVID-19. So what this tells you is the fact that we are aware that there's a $32 billion, what citizens need to now do is ask questions informed by data asking, so what would this 32 billion do? Who would get the contract? What would the contractor supply? And how would these supplies be used? Government said they've mobilized close to 1 billion. 
So how are you engaging government to provide more information? We have local government councillors, we have local government chairmen, we have state assembly members, we have executive governors, we have national assembly members, that's House of Rep and Senate, we have the president. And these are all elected officials who have won the mandate through an electoral process to provide services and represent the collective interests of their constituents, which are the Nigerian people. So for everyone out there, it's about asking questions. It's about channeling your anger, your frustration towards demanding for good governance. And and as you do that, first, I tell people you have to be responsible yourself and you have to hold yourself accountable before you can hold anyone to account. Because really, when you look at our public official, they're a reflection of what we have today. So if individually we are accountable, they to be much more easier to elect people into office and build a community of accountability advocates. So for me, COVID-19 has also shown, and I, I, I'm just happy that a lot of Nigeria have now understood why we say it's important to follow the money. Because right now you see a lot of people complain that they've not even gotten palliative that government said they've provided. So, so on that issue, in fact, the federal government has tried to distribute palliatives through the Ministry of Humanitarian Affairs and all that. But we've been hearing a lot of controversy around it and stuff. So where did the government get it wrong with conditional cash transfers and what should they have done better? I think that government needs to understand that for you to bring policies and make decisions, you must leverage data. So today in Nigeria, we don't even know how many we are. It's usually an estimate over 180 million, close to 200 million. And COVID-19 has shown that more people have become poorer. In short, everyone was vulnerable during COVID-19. So how did you inform your decision on sharing palliative and who benefit from this palliative? And what is the impact of public spending around palliative? Did it meet its desirable target? So I believe there's an opportunity here for government to collect data. But ensure this data is also easily accessible and people trust this data so that citizens can start supporting government initiatives. Because I tell government people when they choose to listen, no matter whatever beautiful policy you're bringing out for the citizen, if there is no trust, the policy would fail. So right now, and with COVID-19, government needs to start thinking about how they can rebuild trust, how they can galvanize more support. Because if the government gets citizen support, you know, then development will be easy. To mainstream and you see we're talking about achieving the sustainable development goal and there's also the african union uh, agenda 2063 well to achieve this no one must be left behind to achieve this everyone must understand and also take you know take it as upon themselves to contribute and to take ownership on those contributions but so far i'm still on this covid19 funds matter how have you seen the money being distributed do you think it has been managed well so my organization, Connected Development, have written a series of freedom of information requests. So the Ministry of Humanitarian Affairs and Disaster Control, the Ministry of Health, even the Ministry of Aviation, the Ministry of Environment, written NCDC. We've written a lot of government MDAs and we're asking simple questions. How much have you access for COVID-19? What did you use this money to do? Mr. President announced that, you know, he's approved from our green reserve to be distributed. And you see there was that controversy around custom releasing some of the seized rice to be distributed. And some governors said, oh, they were expired rice. So, so, so far, trying to even understand COVID-19 and, and tracking COVID-19 spending has been a very taxing um, uh, campaign because government has been secretive. They're not sharing data. 
uh, and citizens are complaining, oh, we're not getting palliative, oh, we've not gotten palliative. CBN said they released one trillion for stimulus packet. And I'm aware right now there's about 6.5 million US dollars for to provide stimulus to, to tackle COVID-19. But when government don't even provide or publish spending, you have government that is budgeting resources, releasing resources, but you're not providing data on spending. And, and, and when you look at reports by the Auditor General, it said over 200 MDs have not been audited since they existed. This does not even tell well on the fight against corruption by even trying to build public trust or ensuring that you know, MDAs and public officials are held accountable. It can be frustrating when you don't get the answers you need, but does that mean you'll stop asking? It takes courage to carry on demanding answers even when the odds are stacked against you and the sharks are out to get you. I asked Hamzi about the harsher aspects of his work, the side of what he does that may discourage others from towing the line of activism. Have you ever encountered maybe threats or anything? Because, I mean, questioning the government the way you do, especially in Nigeria, sometimes it may seem like it's a dangerous thing to do. So, in our work, we've been harassed, we've been intimidated using state resources, we've been threatened a couple of times. You know, but we always tell ourselves if we don't do it, who would do it? And if we don't change Nigeria and starting now for good, who would come and change our country for us? So yes, we're always faced with that threats with, you know, with a lot of harassment and intimidation. Uh, but then again, I think for us, what, what keeps us going and, and why we just remain affirmative in what we do is the court of public opinion is always on our side. The people, the Nigerian people supports the work that we do. And, you know, we only get to live once and for us we want to be able to leave this world and people would remember us for our role our contribution to nation building you know i asked that question because of people who might be afraid to speak up because you know they have that fear um, about the dangers and everything so what advice or what would you say to someone like that i think that if you're worried about danger you won't do anything Taking the first step is more important. I know that in life and as a people, there's always a lot of uncertainty and there's the fear of the unknown. But for us and for me, what has helped me is every danger, every fear becomes an opportunity, an opportunity to try something new, an opportunity to explore, and you know, an opportunity to just say, you know what, what's the worst that can happen? Rather than leave and regret for not taking that action, let me take the action and see where it lead and look at where it has led me today, you know, leading connected development for ideas. So fear is good because it keeps you conscious and it keeps you in check, uh, you know, but what's important is not sitting and folding your arms and, and saying, you know, I am going to do it tomorrow and keep procrastinating. What's important is just take that bold step. Absolutely. Thankfully, we have social media platforms that everybody has access to now. But how best can you use digital platforms to fight corruption and follow the money? I mean, everybody has access to social media, but um, some people have 100 followers. Some have thousands of followers. So for someone who doesn't have a very large platform, they might feel like, oh, I'm just talking to air or something. So for a concerned Nigerian who doesn't have much of a platform online, what do you suggest they do or how do you think they should manage their digital platforms, maybe Twitter or whatever, to ensure that their voice is heard and to join the fight against um, corruption? What's important is consistency. 
So everyone who has millions of followers or thousands of followers are now uh, very relevant when they tweet and get so many engagements. They started as zero followership and built their platform over the years. And the fact that you have less followership does not mean your contribution is not worth it. You know, I, there was a time I had 100 followership on Twitter before. Now I have, uh, you know, over 90,000 followership and I'm verified. But it's, it's, it took me 10 years. I've been on Twitter for 10 years. So being consistent and also engaging with, with information that is verifiable, you know, engaging with value, bringing value on digital platform leading campaign so you know I, I i know young people who have led campaigns on twitter that communities now have access to portable drinking water you know going on outreaches taking pictures and posting on twitter i've seen people mobilize resources you know for people who are sick via twitter you know in 24 hours people have raised about five million to pay medical bills for other people some they don't even know and people who contributed just contributed based on trust and the fact that, you know, they feel they can add their voice and contribute towards someone's good health. So for me, it's been consistent, bringing value to the platform and, you know, not being carried away by all the trendy issue, but just, you know, keeping your face on the bigger picture and, and ask yourself, what is it that you want to achieve on social media? And mind you, social media is a, it's a marketplace where it's, there's a lot of things happening at the same time. So do you want to get carried away by all the activities or you want to come and shape your own kind of narrative or contribute to the narrative or the issues you, 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 that you're passionate about and you want to shape on that platform? That's what's important. Mm, absolutely. But let's say I also want to do something more other than putting my voice out there on digital platforms. Is volunteering an option? And if volunteering is an option, what kind of organizations um, can I volunteer at? I always tell people that no one could really pay you for your work. And volunteering sort of help you with the right skills. Volunteering puts you in various networks. And volunteering would also avail you with a lot of opportunities because when you volunteer, you're actually giving back and you're contributing towards a cause. So I tell a lot of young people, and up to date, I still volunteer. So right now I'm in a lot of I'm on a lot of boards of various organizations and as a non as a member of a nonprofit board, you know, I don't get paid for service, but I bring value and I contribute to the growth and the vision of the organization. So yes, volunteering is absolutely, you know, amazing to to contribute to learn, to meet a lot of people uh, and you know, to to just see that what you're doing is is impacting lives and touching lives. So when you see job opening now. You see job opening and they ask for three to five year work experience. Do you know volunteering is also work experience? It exposes you to tell, you know, a, a, a potential employer that you have X amount of years of work experience. And, and when you go for interview and, and you proudly say you've volunteered, it puts you on, it and on edge, you know, an advantage to get the job than someone who have never volunteered because it means you're humanitarian by nature and you're contributing, you know, to societal growth and development. So, yes, I encourage a lot of young people to explore volunteering, you know, and, and contributing their own quota in various organizations and various courses. Mm, okay. So do you think there is a specific, a specific kind of person who is suited to activism or better suited to the fight against corruption? And if there is, what kind of person might this be? Everyone should be an activist. 
the way Nigeria is now, everyone should be an activist or a social justice campaigner. Um, and just create your own niche. I'm an activist and I am leading campaigns around, around you know, mobilizing young people around corruption to tackle corruption. You know, so, so as an activist, you know, we have different activists out there. You know, we have people who are leading reform in the um, social justice space. We'll have people who are leading activism to get young girls back to school. So again, it's creating a niche, but right now the way Nigeria is and with all the ill, everyone has to be an activist. We've been talking about taking action, but is there a way um, is there a limit to what citizens can achieve on their own? I mean, what tools or infrastructure do you think need to be in place for citizens to be able to fight corruption? So I think so. For in fighting corruption, we must be conscious of some of the legal and regulatory framework. Okay, so can you walk us through that, please? So we have institutions and then we have citizens' action. And we need to understand that the more you demand, the more supply you'll be given. Uh, so let's take, for instance, we have the Independent Corrupt Practices and Other Related Offenses Commission. We have the Economic and Financial Crimes Commission. We have various civil society organizations. But then as citizens and, and, and being active citizens, one is to leverage on uh, instruments like the Freedom of Information Act. Two is to always petition your House of Representatives member because every citizen have uh, a constituent that they're from, a local government that they're from. So they can engage through using the, the National Assembly member and petitioning you know, them to bring it to the floor of the National Assembly. I, I believe that you know, the more citizens can uh, take action, uh, hold their government to account, the more we would start seeing results. And when I say result, concrete result on the ground. But then we need to go back to the local level, the state's level. And, and maybe pay more attention at the local and state level. Why do I say that? If you look at our budget in the country, it's only the national budget that is, uh, that is easily accessible, that is available and easily accessible. So why can't we uh, look at local government budget? Because every local government have a budget, state government have their budgets, but how are they spending this money? How are they ensuring that this money uh, uh, is used to ensure that citizens enjoy the dividends of democracy. I believe that for us to make real and tangible change in the country, we must we must go back to the trenches. We must focus on the grassroots. And you know, corruption is prevalent at that level because a lot of time, a lot of time, most uh, uh, people don't even know. They're not aware. And when you're not aware, when you're not informed, then how can you engage effectively? So for me, I tell citizens. Go back to your community, ask your government representative what is your budget for mm. these various government agencies. All right. So one popular notion, again, is that corruption has permeated our society so deeply that it even exists in, in even the poorest of communities. I mean, it's not just a problem with the government. So do you agree that the citizens are just as bad as the government and that maybe the fight should start with the citizens themselves? Yeah, there's a fight for corruption or against corruption has to be driven by citizens. Government have little role to play. I say little because, see, how many percentage of people are actually in government? Less than 3% of over 200 million people. Imagine if 100 million Nigerians are committed to fighting corruption. Even government themselves would have, that corrupt government official would have nowhere to hide. So it has to start from 
you know, individual then goes to community and, and, and then, you know, and then we can keep mobilizing because for us to succeed, we must continue to mobilize. You know, the more voices we can governize, the quicker and faster we can end corruption in Nigeria. Hmm. So to make the kind of impact we need to get the change we want to see, how important do you think is collaboration with other like-minded people? I mean, how do you find and recognize these people and maybe even build a team that, you know, can have the right kind of impact? So, so collaboration goes a long way. And, and I would even bring the SDGs here. So there's the slogan for the SDGs, say, leave no one behind. And Goal 17 talks about partnership for the goal. So if you want to achieve peace, justice, and stronger institution, which is goal 16, or you want to achieve uh, you know, uh, access to healthcare or access to uh, you know, portable drinking water, that talks about WASH. You need to mobilize and you need to collaborate more. Because I've seen a lot of people doing pockets of activity or pocket of actions in their various silos. We need to collapse this silo and have a collective voice of people collaborating. And, you know, joining forces would follow the money because I believe that when you follow the money, you would see answers, answers that you seek, you know, would, would be provided when you follow the money because in the money, you would know, you know, what government's actions are on the ground. Mm, all right. If there was one message you could send to every young Nigerian, what would that message be? I would tell young people, we are the solutions. Yes, we have so many problems in the country, but those problems are also opportunities. So we have to look at issues from an opportunistic perspective for us to contribute our quota towards nation building and become that solution and drive that solution to a logical conclusion. And as we do that, we need, as young people, you need skill. As much as you're passionate, you have a lot of energy, you have ideas, you know, world-changing ideas, you need to have skill because right now it is savvy. Savvy goes much more than even your certificate. So it's more about certificate. So young people mm. get skills and equip yourself with skills because and, and more network, you know, plug into various networks because your your network is your network. Yeah, brilliant. Well before I let you go, please tell us what are you currently reading? Um the book I'm currently reading. So I finished Omojua's book uh, that talks about digital wealth. I finished Aisha Osori's book that talks about love does not win election. The one I'm reading now, it's The Secret Handshake. Mm, and what's that about? So it's just about navigating politics, life, entrepreneurship, negotiation, and the intrigues that goes into how you can negotiate your ways out of you know, various obstacles mm, and the power good. of handshake. Wow. Sounds interesting. Thanks so much for sharing. And thank you for your time, for taking the time out to do this. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Yesterday, I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today, I am wise, so I am changing myself. Rumi. Our rulers come from the same pool of people as the ruled. The fight against corruption starts with me and you, then the next person and the next, and then the next. Don't hold back. Ask data-informed questions. Don't give up because no one else can build the kind of nation you want to live in. Did you find this episode inspiring? Please share your thoughts with us. IAC Podcast is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
On Twitter, we are at IAC underscore podcast. On Facebook and Instagram, we are at I am Change Podcast. Share this podcast with your friends and please rate IAC Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. That way, more people can find us. Until the next episode, continue to be the change you want to see. I am Kouride Aziz. Thank you.